Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? Just just Mark here today. Mark on the mic. Uh, no Jim, but that's kind of fitting. I'm, I'm going solo. I'm solo today, and the reason that's fitting is because I'm talking to Remy Warren, solo hunter, professional elk guide, hunting extraordinaire, just an all-around great guy. And we're going to talk today about archery elk hunting. And I think the, the focus here is going to be like towards maybe the first-time elk hunter or the elk hunter is like, I just want to get one. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to call a herd bull. I, I don't need to get a giant. Uh, you know, I'm, I likely, I, I've got an over-the-counter tag or, or maybe a tag where I've got one or two points invested. I just want to get an elk. And that could be, uh, you know, could be a herd bull. Hey, fingers crossed, right? Could, could be a, a, a less mature bull. Could even be a cow. Like, you just want to get an elk, have a good time, put some meat in the freezer, and uh, get the most out of what will likely be uh, an eventful se- September. So, uh, Remy, welcome. You are, you're kind of, you're coming off a hunt right now. Yeah. And you're, and you're semi on location. So, real quick, what, what's going on there, man? Well, yeah, I just um, came off a 14-day backpack sheep hunt. Didn't see a legal ram. So, you know, like, it was a good hunt, though. I mean, just left it all on the mountain, and I don't know if I'll get a chance to go back or not. But uh, it, it was a great hunt. Now uh, elk season started. You know, it's coming up September 1st. So I'm going to be headed out elk hunting. I got my stuff in the vehicle here, and it was just like one hunt after the other because I, I kind of went a little bit longer on the last one. But like you said, I mean, elk season is kind of my bread and butter. And if you just want to get an elk, I'm your guy. I'm all about getting elk. So <laughs> I'm excited to tell you what I know. You know, I spend my pretty much my entire adult life guiding elk hunters in general areas and, and hunting elk and especially, you know, archery season. Um, one of my favorite times. I, I love calling elk. So, yeah, I'll give you what tips I know for sure. Awesome. Awesome, man. You're coming off one long tough hunt you're basically rolling right into a bunch more you are you are the terminator once once you are set in motion you cannot be stopped so uh (laughs) we uh we appreciate uh you joining us today for the purpose of this conversation also i think we're gonna stick to uh to rocky mountain elk uh that that subspecies of the elk variety uh even though uh everybody knows that the roosevelt's are are the better elk uh comment below if you disagree, which will actually be probably everybody but me, like I just like Rosie's. But uh, what do you think is like the biggest challenge for like you know like a first time elk hunter or a new elk hunter, you know, to try and try and find success in the field? I mean, with elk hunting, I think the biggest challenge is just finding elk to start out. Uh, guys that, I mean, I've guided so many people to say I've been on five elk hunts, never seen an elk, and it's just a thing that happens. I think. Uh, to new elk hunters and not necessarily because there aren't elk there, but because they just aren't used to figuring out how to find them. So, you know, like my three-step patented kill elk process is find the elk, shoot the elk, pack the elk back to the truck. Three simple steps. And step one can be the most difficult for beginners, I would say. You've really simplified the problem. <laughs> really simplified. The- now I figured out what I've been doing wrong all these years. Um, well, I mean, you're rolling right into what I have. I got a list of questions here, and we might stick to it, we might not. But question two I have is, where where can you find elk? I mean, are, are there certain 
terrain features to key in on or look at maybe when you're doing your map scouting? Are there are there things within those terrain features that are going to be kind of like, uh, oh, man, now I really need to focus on on this area? Yeah, for sure. I mean, now, like, there's so much different elk country. So, you know, like, I kind of think of, I kind of break elk country out into different types of elk country. So there's that real timbered elk country. It might be like, you know, dark timber. Then there's that more alpine country. There's desert country. Um, there's a lot of different habitats that elk live in. And I think the first thing to keying in on elk is just understanding elk. Like, why are elk different than mule deer, different than whitetails? And I think a lot of it, what I realized early is elk, the main difference is elk are grazers. So much like cattle, much like bison, uh, they're, you know, they, they pretty much evolved on the plains as grazers. So grazers need that grass, whereas deer and moose are more browsers. They can find that browse from bushes and other things, but really elk do need high protein grasses, fescues, other things. So once you understand that, you say, well, where can they get that preferred food source? Now they will browse on other things and stuff like that, but they're primarily focusing on feeding on grass in, in some form or fashion. Um, so I do look for that uh, grass. Now, depending on the type of habitat too, what I like to look for is something that they need that's rare for where they're at. So if I'm in that desert country, well, what's kind of missing in the desert that they need? All animals need food, water, cover. Um, or some kind of shelter somewhere to be safe. So I narrow it down by finding the one thing that they're missing in that habitat that they're in. If they're in desert country, well, they're probably going to be more tied to water because there's less water. They've got more food because it's more open. So there's more of those grasses. So you're not really focusing on that. You're focusing on the water. In the more timbered country, I'm focusing more on the food, that grass, because there's less open areas where there's going to be that grass, but there's plenty of cover and there's probably plenty of water. And then in the Alpine, they've got a little bit of everything. They've got probably food. They've got probably water. So maybe I'm focusing a little bit more on that cover where it's above timberline, but where are they going to go to bed? And the same might be true in a big burn or something like that, where they've got food everywhere. They've probably got water. Where are those timber patches where they can find shelter and find cover? No, I mean, that, I mean, that really helps a person you know, narrow down and focus because it's super intimidating, right? It's huge country. It's giant. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, I'm, I, at first glance, you're like, I'm finding a needle in a haystack. And, but like, yeah. like you said, you focus in on, okay, there's, these are the primary needs, but which one is the most limited? And that really helps you laser focus in on an area. Or if you finally, you know, maybe you've been hunting for a week and you finally find that thing, you're like, okay, now, now we may have uh, come on to something super important. I know you like to call elk. What about, yep. uh, you know, maybe bugling versus cow calling when, when, when you might use one or the other or both? I love bugling because it's just a more exciting interaction. But also I've had like when I first started out calling elk, I knew nothing really about it. Uh, and it was and I didn't have as much success bugling, but I also didn't commit to it as much over the years. Like I would say like on just my personal hunts or whatever, I enjoy bugling bulls in. I think it's more fun. I think it's like that direct challenge and that's what I like to do, but it's not always the best tactic. So if you're getting started or whatever, bugling is probably, if you're just going to know one bugle, location bugle is the number one bugle to know because what you're doing is you're broadcasting out like a single two note, two note tone kind of thing where you're, 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 portraying that out, you're wanting that sound to travel and you're hoping to use it to locate where the other elk are. And then, you know, cow calling can be really effective 
but you also have to kind of understand the temperament of the elk you're calling to. Like elk calling is in the importance of calling elk. I would say understanding elk behavior and the type of call is probably more important than how that call sounds. So you don't have to be a world champion elk caller to call elk successfully. You just have to know when to use the right calls in the right situations. But I'd say the basics would be using a location bugle, um, just broadcasting that out. And that's not so much what it sounds like, but where you where you bugle from. I think of sending out location bugles like glassing knobs, where you need, instead of being able to see far, you need that sound to travel far. And the more you call is going to depend on how far that sound travels. So if like you're in thick timber, you're going to be calling a lot more often than if you're in a big basin where that sound echoes and travels. And then I would say, when it comes to cow calling, you know, there's certain scenarios where a cow call, like if you get a bull that's bugling to cow calls, keep cow calling. You're calling on the temperament of the animal that you're calling to. Uh, if you go, ew, 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 and you hear, Ooh, what he's doing is he's trying to round up a harem. So he's using that location bugle to gather cows to him. Um, now he is going to expect you to move in a little bit. So, uh, but if he's just bugling straight off to, so when you lo- do that location call, it's like, bull bugles in the wild if there's no humans involved a bull would bugle and what he's doing is saying cows i'm over here come find me and then another bull is going to bugle because he's like no i'm over here come find me so it's a way of them gathering up their harems and that's what they're doing they're sounding off not to each other but really as a challenge to draw the cows to them now if you're cow calling and a bull's bugling back just keep cow calling because he's probably pretty interested uh bulls that don't have cows lone bulls super susceptible to to the muse the muse of the ladies Gotcha. And then like, you know, you were talking about moving there a little bit, you know, if you do get a bull that's bugling back to your cow calls, is that something where you want to be kind of simultaneously and, but cautiously closing the gap? Or do you think the person should just, you know, stay put and Hey, this bull is interested and it's going to come to me. No, I never expected elk to come to me. I think that that's probably one of the main misconceptions. I mean, sometimes it happens. I'm nothing never doesn't happen. I would say. (laughs) Right. But for the most part, like I, you know, think about, I, I like to think about elk, like when I'm calling is like removing myself as a human from the situation. So, so many times you hear, like you read articles or you hear stories about like a guy saying, well, I, uh, I bugled an elk bugled and then the elk grabbed his cows and ran away. So he's call shy. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not the case. That elk is just doing what elk would do when elk are calling. So what's he going to do? He's going to try to avoid the fight. So what you're trying to do as the caller, whether it's a wild elk or you're a person imitating an elk calling, is you have to kind of instigate that bull to a point where he has no other option but to come in and fight. And so sometimes that involves tactics where he feels so threatened because you're so close. I think the majority of the time when I'm calling elk, I'm using it to figure out where they are. And then I'm trying to move into a distance where it's like, he has no other option but to come fight me. So I, I constantly try to get closer, closer, closer. I think that like the best zone is to be within a hundred yards or so of the bull. Like I would never expect a bull to walk half a mile to me because it's just not going to happen unless it's a lone elk or a lone bull cruising and, and he's interested in that cow sound. Uh, if it's a bull with cows, you have to, you really have to get in there and you have to dog him and you have to make him want to fight. Yeah, I think that's that's a super big deal. What so let's say let's say situation you've done you've done a location bugle and you know maybe a 
across the valley or, or a ways away, you get a bull to answer back. I mean, what next? I mean, are you just like closing that gap? Like you're like, yeah, that's a bull. I want to go after it. Are you just like covering a lot of ground to get close? And then once you feel like you're like, ah, because you can never tell, like, you know, hell, I mean, these things move around, right? Or uh, yeah. it's even just hard to tell where is that. You're like, well, I think he's about over here on the hill. What, what's your next step? Do you get in, try and get in tight and call again? Yeah. So I generally go something like this. Like I get the bull worked up. So I'll, I like think of it as like bugling escalation. So I want him, I want to get the bull into like kind of like a frenzy where I bugle, he bugles because not every bull is going to play ball. You know, you can waste a lot of time on an elk. That's like not really, I mean, if it's the only, if it's your only option, it's not wasting time. But if you're trying to call a bull in, you got to have a bull. To, like I say, like we got to find one that wants to play. You need that bull that's in a certain mindset um, that you can kind of like mess with them enough. So what I'll do is I'll like bugle. And what I try to do is I get to the point where if, if I bugle, that bull pretty much bugles right back. And then what I'll do is I'll try to pinpoint, okay, well, where is that elk? And, and then in between my calling, I'm going to just hustle. I'm going to essentially run as fast as I can, if I can to just get into position because he is going to be moving. He might be moving his cows and, you know, it just depends on the situation, but yeah, I'm going to try to get in as tight as possible. You'll still hear him. You know, you'll still throw out. So if I'm like, I don't know where he's at, I'll make a, a call. Hey, where's the, no, just <laughs> and, um, where you at dude, uh, on the mountain? Uh, I, I wish we, no, I wish we had that functionality yeah, on the mountain. Like, dude, where are you at? I'll meet you in the parking lot. We'll fight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, so I, cut that distance. I, I get in tight. And then what I like to do generally, once I'm in, I like kind of like this setup where I'll bugle before I get like too close. I'll throw out some cow calls like, ew, 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 ew. and then, um, and I'll do that like behind me. And then what I try to do is then I'll bugle facing the bull or I'll bugle away. And then I'll cow call. And then, so what I'm trying to do is make that bull think that there's cows, like I've already got cows. Like I went in and there's cows that he's missing behind me. And so in order to get to his cows, he's going to have to confront. You're creating um, elk FOMO. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, what's going on over there? You know, doing a little bit of like estrus wine, you know, a bunch of like action, maybe even like some, a little bit of frenzied action. Sometimes I'll even cow call and run or bugle and run. And that's just like a bull chasing a cow. And then I'll do some um, other, like, even like when I get really close and the bull just doesn't want to commit, I'll even do like a lot of non-verbal cow uh, elk sounds, breaking trees, glunking, like a, you know, heavy breathing, all kinds of stuff, peeing on the ground, whatever it takes. What <laughs> I like that whatever it takes attitude. You bring up... Um... Something that I know I did, you know, and I'm, I'm not a professional elk hunter by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, these things, are, they might as well have a force field around them, I swear, sometimes. But, like, when I first started, like, I was afraid to make, like, I'd be like, well, I'm in hunt mode. I need to be quiet. You know, I need to be sneaky. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I might make a call, but everything else, like, I'm, like, being as quiet as possible. And I think that's a, something to point out is, like, you're making noise. Like, you're breaking branches. You might roll a rock you're you're running creating this illusion that there's these big animals are running around and running yes yeah i i like that i mean that's the way i like to hunt but honestly like if you you can also take the spot em stock em approach which is probably a better way to kill a bigger bull or a herd bull 
um, if you don't have a lot of experience calling. I mean, once you've got the calling thing down, it's kind of hard to, to stock them like that because you can hunt everything else like that, but you can't bugle everything else in. So it's kind of one of those things. It's like, I mean, you can go on a river and you can chuck a worm or you can grab a fly rod and throw dry flies. You know what I mean? Like it's a different experience. So it's, it, you know, you're still catching fish, um, but it just depends like how you want to fish and what you enjoy. Uh, not that one's better than the other, you know, <laughs> like. For sure. For sure. No, I, I definitely get that. Like, yeah, not, not everything bugles and, and it's like, I, you know, I enjoy hunting elk, but like to me, like hunting elk is like archery hunting in September because there's just like, there's really nothing else like it. Like that's what's like that. So right. that's how you kind of want to do it. You don't, you don't get yeah. that experience somewhere else. That's yeah. When guys are like, yeah, you know, we just stock in, I'm like, it's a good tactic and it's a great, you know, it depends on what I'm doing or whatever. It's not one that I won't do, but I don't know. It's not like, that's not why I'm elk hunting in September. I'm elk hunting in September to call them, to, to run around, to act a fool, to trick them into thinking I'm an elk. Cause there's like, it's a pretty cool experience. Uh, you're really, it's like one of the times you get to talk to the animals, you get to, you get to be the animal, you get to, you're like, I, and when you finally trick one using calls and those kind of tactics, it's pretty awesome. And it can be pretty fun. It's like very engaging. Yeah. Super fun. Getting back to cow calling a little bit, or maybe even, I don't know if this is like, would or wouldn't be the case, but like getting back to just trying to kill a bull or maybe even targeting, you know, immature bulls is cow calling like you might have a herd bull fired up but i would think there's the possibility that there's some smaller bulls or or younger bulls you know satellite bulls on the periphery there can a person go in there be more subtle cow call kind of act like you know lost cow or maybe a small group of cows that aren't with maybe that that larger group that's gonna you almost have to maybe elude less eyes and things like that and draw maybe a younger bull in like could that be an effective tactic not in my experience okay so it's it's more effective like the the satellite bulls are going to be more interested in like the action they're going to be like so it's like the fringe action so if there's a big bull bugling and you're making it i call it like a cow party where it's like you're a bull and he's rounding up cows and there's just like a bunch going on like Everybody wants to like, it's, it's just like people, like if you see, like, if you go to a food truck thing, right. And there's nobody at this food truck over here and everybody's in line for this food truck. You're getting in the line for that food truck. It's just like this weird thing of like, Hey, I'm going where the action is. And so when it's a scenario where there's multiple elk satellite elk and a big herd, you need to make it appear as though your herds, like you're it's popping off where you're at and you will call in nearly every satellite bolt. I mean, that's how we, we take 90% of the elk we take is we get in on a group, we get crazy, we get the herd bull fired up and all the other bulls end up checking us out. If you're just meek on the edges, you're going to lose the interest of the one elk and you aren't going to whip the other elk into a frenzy. There's going to be no incentive for action. Now, now the flip side of that is you could, if you see a bull by himself, like a, a young, like say is a raghorn bull and he's not with her then you can kind of do that soft play approach and he's going to come in quiet. He's just going to kind of sneak in there and be like, Ooh, maybe there's no bull with these. I'm going to stay quiet. I'm going to check it out. And you can generally always call that bull in just using cow calls and like a more softer approach. But when you're talking about calling in satellite bulls off of a herd, you really need to like whip it up a bit. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I've even, uh, on your podcast, which I suggest anybody listen to because there's a wealth of, of knowledge there, uh, I've heard you talk about, you know, calling situation uh, that you call the elk party. And when you were even describing that, you know, it's like, I picture like these elk being like, oh, where the party at, you know? So, I mean, is that kind of that scenario or is that elk party that you talk about creating a different scenario? Oh, yeah, that's it. You're just like, you're like, hey, there's a party over here. Things are going on and it makes the it makes the bulls interested in like, ooh, there's cows, there's a hot cow, there's this is where everything's at. I need to kind of investigate this. And I find that that's that's better in those scenarios, especially when there's multiple elk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that even works too when you see like a, a lone bull and you just go, hey, it's just a bunch of like just cow calling. Um, that's a great time to use the cow calls when you've got like a lone elk. And you can also use those cow calls like as you're kind of cruising through areas, you know, might get something fired off. Like you're walking through some timber, you're walking through a bedding area. I'll use those or I'll have them like at the ready in case I see something or spook one elk out and kind of hit those cow calls and maybe uh, turn something into a a good situation. Yeah. I mean, you definitely hit on almost exactly my next two questions. I'd say like, you know, I guess maybe on like a wide open, like open country elk hunt it may be a little bit different, but let's say on your average, you know, Montana, Colorado, you've got, you know, a fair amount of timber, you know, some open park type stuff. Like what percentage of the day do you have like an actual, like a diaphragm, like almost like in your mouth at the ready? Not in, maybe not in your mouth, but like, you know, in your teeth or whatever. Pretty much all the day. Yeah. And I mean, I base it off of like, you know, when you're in elky zones, like when you smell it, when you like, like if it's the middle of the day and I'm going through timber, like, elk like to bed in certain certain types of places um generally like a more of a, a mild slope so like a ridge or something like that and what i'll do is like when i get into that zone when i like when it's like heightened sense time I, i'm walking slow i'm still hunting so i'm like creeping along glassing and looking and then i've got that call in my mouth because what will happen is maybe one cow pins you right she sees something as long as you got your wind right she sees something i just go Ew! and stay still and it's like, she might run off for 10, 20 yards, but there could be 45 other elk that have no clue why that elk ran away. And it's not going to be a big deal. She could have just, whatever, wanted to catch up with the group, whatever. So you can pretty much always stop elk with a cow call, uh, whether you can recall that elk in or not, you know, but it might just be enough to like calm them down and then get a play, you know, three or four hours later. Uh-huh. Um, so I always have that. And then if I'm going through something, it's like, okay, thick timber or like thick deadfall, but it's near an area where it's like, Hey, I'm moving into a wallow and maybe, or you know what I mean? Like maybe I need to throw a cow call out or maybe I'm just walking around like, okay, I don't know where these elk are, but I'm going to keep broadcasting either a location bugle or some kind of cow call, hoping to pick some other noises up to kind of tell me like, okay, here's where the elk are living. Here's where they're at. And then I, you know, am not surprised by them. Gotcha. What about, um, you know, I guess staying on cows or cow calling, uh, a person, they might have a cow only tag or, you know, maybe they were, you know, they've, they've gotten either sex tag. It's day five of a six day hunt. They want to come home with some meat. Do you have any, uh, calling tactics that, that are good to, you know, bring a cow in? Yeah. I mean, so if you find a, like, if you're calling for a calf, that's, I mean, it's the easiest packing best meat on the mountain. Um, you can always throw out just like some cow calls or even just giving like that lost calf. Like it's just more like a, a, a simple, like meow, meow, meow. Uh, kind of like mew, mew, mew kind of thing. Or 
you know, you can kind of also, I know it's like, um, so a, like a more long drawn out cow sound is often like, you know, they call it like an estrus wine, but I've also found that like the lead cows make this like sound that's more like, I'm just doing this with my voice. So it probably sounds terrible through the phone, but like, like that. And it is like this, it's actually it kind of like gets the, it, it gets the attention of the cows and like might get them to sound off as well. You know, like there are situations where I'm like, I hear a cow calling and I say like, I can call that cow in right now. Um, but it's mostly like, you know, a lost elk where you get this, like, you can tell that it's, it's moving back and forth. It's by itself. You can generally call those ones in. Otherwise, you know, they've kind of got their herd and you might not be able to pull an elk, like a cow to something else. Um, cause they're just going to be talking or like talk amongst themselves, but you can generally sneak in. And the nice thing about like stalking cows is you don't have to like find a certain cow. It's like the first cow that comes in generally, that's the one you want, you know? <laughs> Unless it looks like an old Betty, then you're like, well, maybe, maybe I'll wait. <laughs> <Where's> <laughs> my that? like my philosophy with cow hunting is don't shoot the biggest cow. I like I I think uh, that ma- that makes a lot of sense. What about you know? Let's say you get into a spot and you're like, ah oh, man, like it's it's pretty elky here. Like you know, maybe you found some good sign, or you know, maybe you even smell elk. Maybe they're they're bedded there at some point during the day, and you don't feel like you bumped them out of there. You let out a maybe you let out a bugle, nothing comes back. You let out a few cow calls, nothing. Do you ever set up there and just kind of blind call periodically, thinking like, "Oh, this is an elky spot. They kind of like to be here. Um, I'm just going to set up and call for a while and see what happens." Can that be effective, or is that something where you're like, "This is great knowledge, but I'm going to move on"? No, I mean when I'm, I was like, my nose kills probably more elk than my eyes, honestly. Like a lot of, especially archery season, because. I like to hunt thicker country during archery season. Um, strategically, I think because of my, the way that I like to hunt is by calling and it's a lot easier to call a bull in close when they can't see, they have to like keep coming in. So I kind of target thicker areas. And while doing that, you know, you generally you're, you're hunting in the wind and you'll smell elk, um, or where they've been with enough practice. You can actually kind of decipher the smell between where an elk's been and, and an actual animal. There's many times where I've smelt an elk and then like, okay, they're here. Or there's times where you smell like, oh, they've been here. Um, and I'll set up and do just kind of like call sequence where it starts out as maybe just like cow calling, like, oh, maybe there's some cows that are also bedded here because they'll smell that, they'll smell those beds. And it's a good way to like draw in a bull that might be cruising by himself. And most of the time, it's just going to be like a, uh, a lone elk that's going to come in silent when you're doing that. I would say more often than not. But it's a really good tactic too. Like early in the season, a lot of people are chomping at the bit to get out and they're going to get out and they're going to be like, I didn't hear anything. And it's not because the elk, like, you know, it's just the time of year isn't right for them to really start firing off, but they are going to check out cows when they can. So it's a lot easier to call a bull in that's by himself, but it's a lot harder to know how long to wait and what to do because he's going to be moving in quiet. Um, So most of the time when I encounter those scenarios, I might do that like, around an area where it, it's like more likely to draw an elk because of something. So maybe like an area where there's a wallow, maybe a bedding area, or you like you say, just an area that's like, this is super elky and I'm not seeing anything else. I can't glass up anything. I'm not hearing anything. Then I'll just post up and I'll, I'll do a few different sits and just kind of like do those like call sequences. Just try not to overcall it. Like I'll, I'll pace myself and do some cow calls, maybe let out one or two bugles through the course of it and see if something comes in quiet. 
I generally like to uh, combine that tactic uh, with some periodic napping. Yeah, I've done that. I did that once, and then an elk almost stepped on me. So. <laughs> I, I may have slept through that part. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've got uh, I've had a, a guy that I set up on a wallow, and I was like, "Here, they're going to come in here. Don't fall asleep." He's like, "Yeah, I won't." And then you know, he ended up shooting an elk bad, and I'm like, "How did he shoot this bad?" Like, I couldn't. His story didn't line up. And he didn't realize that I had a trail camera out <laughs> and uh, the elk was there for like an hour and 20 minutes. It was sleeping in the wall. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was like, this is insane. How, I mean, he was out. He was, and it was only like 30 yards away. So he must've just been, I bet he woke up, saw the elk, startled the elk, the elk ran away. He's like, I'm going to shoot, you know, <laughs> made a bad shot. But, oh man. God, I love, there's few things I love more than a good woods nap, but maybe I need, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not killing elk because I need to adjust my, my nap tactics and, and just uh, not do it. I don't know. The napping though, it helps you pace yourself. Cause otherwise I get impatient and I'm like just over calling or something like that. But also it's a good tactic too. If you like find a spot where you can maybe glass something a little bit further away and you're set up and you can do like a little bit of calling while you're glassing, it's uh, it's like kind of, kill two birds with one stone sort of deal oh yeah sure sure uh you, so I'd, lo- I'd love to get your description on this so you're talking about smelling like smelling elk right and so for for maybe a person that hasn't been in the elk woods all that much like i think they smell like horses like and actually the first time i ever smelled an elk i was like man who the heck was back here with some horses and then you know i put two and two together but like like, how would you describe, like, when you smell elk, like, oh, there's, there's been elk here or, or there is an elk here? Yeah, there's a weird description, but it's pretty accurate. So, like, if you, so I think they smell like, uh, like cows, cattle. Okay. But you can tell the difference between cattle because elk smell, like, uh, on an animal is a little bit sharper, but it's also a little bit sweeter than beef. So, it's like, it's got, like, this musky sweet smell. So, like, smells like cow, beef cow, but just a slightly bit sweeter. <laughs> like beef cow but a little bit sweeter yeah oh man uh i like it and then when you're talking about you know they've been here versus they are here is that just like a potency thing like it's just a stronger thing when you think they're they're still like really close no it's something i mean like you can't really describe it but you just it's something you gotta like it, it just takes a lot of time to figure out but um, the way that I think about it is like, I don't know how to describe it. Like when, in, when you smell an actual elk, it's a hotter smell. Like it's, it, I guess, yeah, it, I don't know if it's smell because sometimes there's places where their scent's really, really strong, but it doesn't mean that it's on an animal. It's just an area like wallows are really strong. Um, some bedding areas are really strong, especially after they wallow or bedding area near a wallow is pretty strong. But like when you smell it on the animal, I don't know. It, it, it is like a slightly different, uh, a slightly different smell. I don't know how to describe it though. It's just like you just pay attention to those things when you're out there, like when you're in the field and you're like coming up on your elk, and you, you just kind of like it's just I don't know. That's one thing that's hard to just say. Go out and this is how you can do it. But um, over the years, you can kind of start to figure it out. Yeah, I think, like you said, just a, a definitely a big thing to, to pay attention to. You're talking a little bit earlier about, well, we started with like, hey, number one, you got to find the damn things, right? Like that's probably yeah. one of the hardest parts. Uh, we talked about like a location bugle. Are there any other things like that 
might incite a bugle or to get a bull to crack off that you've found? Like maybe, maybe they're just like not talking that much, but like you do a certain thing and that'll get them to, to crack off. Or maybe that is just that location bugle. Yeah, it's mostly just the location bugle. Like I said, you can you can let out some of those cow sounds, some of those even like a more of like an estrus cow sound, like a longer whine. Sometimes like even just like a, just throwing out instead of doing like a location bugle, just giving like a quick little chuckle, you know, just <laughs> and you're like, okay, just like that. Like I'm just an elk talking to my cows. Sometimes that gets bulls that are nearby to kind of get a little bit more mad and be like, well, I got it. I got, if he's not, he's not advertising, like giving sounds, there's different sounds like an elk looking for cows and an elk that's got cows. Um, so maybe just something like that, where it's like you, you let out some cow sounds and then just some more mild, like bold kind of talking to the cows incognito kind of thing, just like a little bit of chuckle or even just like a really drawn out. I almost call it like I'll bugle with a cow call in a weird way. Um, but sometimes just like, I think it catches elk off guard and they're like, hmm, I'll bugle back to that. You're just kind of mixing it up a little bit. Okay, cool. So we, we've talked a lot about, a lot about calling, a lot about bugling cow calls and, and really that, I mean, calling it is so fun. It's interactive. It's, it's exciting. You know, you, you, you get to use your imagination really in some ways and, and kind of create that scenario that you want. But what about for a person that maybe, maybe they're not super confident in their calling, you know, maybe they even have trouble with a diaphragm and they don't feel like they can uh, recreate the sounds as good as they might want to. What about stalking? What, when are those scenarios like Maybe that could be a person's primary way to to find or get close to an elk, or or what are some scenarios where a person just may want to use that tactic to to be more effective? Yeah, so I use a lot of stalking tactics um, in two different ways. So the first is just kind of like spot and stalk, and then where you see embedded and then stalk in, and then the other one is more of an ambush tactic. So. Uh, the time of year, like if you're, if you're archery hunting, I think the time of year dictates, uh, which one is, is better. You know, um, I think like early in the season and late in the season is the best time to target a bull because it's a lot easier to stock in on them when they are by themselves solitary, when they've got a big herd and all the elk are together, that's a lot of eyes. And now you might stock in and you could say like, well, the bull will be at the top of the group, but generally what'll happen is you'll see the elk, you'll be watching them. They go in. And they go into the timber and then all 45 of them bed somehow. And you can't see where the bull is bedded or what other elk are around. And it makes it really hard to sneak in on that one bull. Not impossible. If they bed out in the open, sweet. You can do whatever you want. But if it's in the timber, it makes it tough. So actually, when those bulls break away from the herd, uh, probably the best time to kill a big bull would be like beginning, end of September, beginning of October, um, just after they've rutted. But they're still kind of around the herds. They just break off. Or like before they've really gone and gathered their harems, but they're still kind of cruising and they're solo by themselves. Great time to spot a lone bull, watch in bed, and then sneak in. Probably easiest way to kill an elk. Man, and that is a hot I would tip. Say, yeah. And then I would say, now if you're like wanting to stalk them during the, like let's say you're stalking them when they're herded up, I would say an ambush tactic is going to be the best. So I generally do that by like, let's, let's say they're feeding in an area in the morning. I'll watch where they go in and bed and then you kind of set up for them to move. Well, it's like kind of like a moving stock where you're kind of in position where you think they're going to go. And that works really effective as well. It can also work between bedding and sometimes I'll do that same kind of ambush stock where, Hey, I've got the herd bedded here. 
but maybe I'm going to like stay on the periphery. And once that bull maybe moves off, cause those cows might stay bedded and he's going to go move off to wallow or something like that. Then I can move in like at a good strategic time, or I can get in close and just watch the herd and say, well, when that bull gives me an opportunity, I'll move in or uh, play it that way. But stalking is a really good and effective way. Um, you aren't relying on calls. You aren't relying on them being active. You just got to have an area where you can spot them and uh, sneak in. Gotcha. Well, I guess this, this would be for like just going back to finding elk. But like, are they generally on like one or a various slope depending on like either the, the time of day or the sun or bedding versus feeding or something like that? Like I know uh, for you, Right now, you're sitting in your vehicle and getting absolutely blasted by the sun, right? Like, you're probably super comfortable. Uh, if you weren't pinned down in this podcast right now, you'd probably move or be somewhere else right now. So, are, are there any, are you paying attention to that, you know, when you're like, oh, well, the elk are probably going to be here right now? Yeah, definitely. Like, they're going to not want to, I mean, elk are kind of always hot. They're wearing a giant fur coat. <laughs> they're like, they'll go lay in the snow if they have to. So yeah, they're, they aren't going to be out like just sitting and baking in the sun for the most part. I've seen elk in open country do different stuff. Like they will just go bed out in the open, but you think it's open and actually like their body's low enough in the sage where they can kind of like get out of that, or they might go bed on a knob where there's a good breeze or something like that. But for the most part, yeah, they're, they're going to be generally like if i was just a you say like oh a general thing that's not always the case because terrain and other things dictate different things but mornings and evenings are going to be on south facing slopes which are you know ones that are drier but have that grass that are feeding mornings and evenings and then they're going to probably move around into a direction where whichever the closest hill has a gradual slope with the wind blowing downhill so it can be at their back when they're bedded comfortably is going to be where they're going to bed and so that's like, uh, I would say most like if I was just to throw a random dart board and be pretty close to accurate, that would be where I'd try to pinpoint. Gotcha. From a um, stylistic standpoint, maybe it's not the best way to describe it, of, of like how you might approach your hunt. Uh, you know, I guess I'm thinking of the person that they don't live in elk country. They can't get there, get, get out there all the time. Um, they want to, uh, you know, this is their week to elk hunt. They picked it. They got their vacation. They're going. Would you say pick a good area and dive in and put your camp on your back and go for it? Or would you say maybe day trip it more, bounce around more, and be more mobile would be like, you know, put the odds in your favor? It just depends on the area. Like, honestly, I mean, being more mobile is great because if the elk aren't where you think they should be, you can cover more country you know you can go in you can cover like if you don't have a real heavy pack you can cover twice as much ground but there is something to be said too for areas where you can hike in and, and maybe get back where there's no one else or you're hunting maybe an area it's like hey there's nobody else back here they're a little less pressured um, but if the elk aren't there it's a big move and a big commitment and you say like well how long do i commit to this spot um, before moving to the next spot something like that but honestly, like both those options are really good. It just depends on your hunt style and what you want to do. I always like, even if I'm based, I always kind of like simultaneously have the plan for both in case I need to. So even if I'm like parked in an area, car camping or whatever, I got a base camp, I still have like my setup where it's like, dude, I can go and take a three night roll where I can just go up there, um, hunt it for three days or like whatever. And if I'm backpacking, 
I also have like the option of like, man, if, if it's not going how I want it to go, maybe I just pull out and go try to find another spot. But, you know, it's kind of hard to say what you're going to commit to. I think sometimes when you're planning from a long ways away, it's just better to have like a solid plan. And ne- either one of those is a really good option. I mean, getting into the backcountry, getting in the wilderness is a really fun way to hunt elk. There's lots of elk and you can find like some unpressured animals and it can be a great hunt. And the same for, you know, I mean, it just depends where the pressure is too, really. Because sometimes I've gone into backcountry camps, hiked miles back there. And it's like, there's more people there than the first two miles of trail. So well, let's just hunt the first two miles of trail on a bunch of different trails. So it just depends where you're at and how things are going really. Yeah. Do you, even if you're kind of, you know, bouncing around a little bit, you know, kind of like more of a, a stick and move approach. And, and maybe this is what you were just saying. Do you generally have like enough with you that you're like, Oh man, like I'm a few miles in and I did find elk. I can spend a couple nights here. Or do you just go back well, and then get your stuff and go do that? It really depends on the hunt. Most of the time I would just go, uh, I don't know. I mean, so if I'm like going in, sometimes I have that stuff. A lot of times though, I think like I can, I can hike 20 miles in a day, especially during archery season. So it's like, well, it's nothing if your pack's light, if you've just got the things you need for then. And if you needed to stay, like it's generally not terrible weather in September, like it'll snow or whatever, but it probably won't kill you. You know, you can start a little fire and be okay. I like it. What about, uh, man, I'm just like picking your brain as much as I can here. Moon phase. Like I hear some people talk about moon phase and they're like, oh my gosh, it's the end all be all. Like I, I wrap my, I wrap my hunt around the moon and then I hear other people go, nah, dude, it's hocus pocus. Like where, where do you fall in there? Oh yeah, it definitely plays a factor, but um, here's the trouble with it. It just, it's like a good determining factor of the kind of action that you can expect. And it's absolute truth but there's other factors in it. So like when people say the moon phase, it's not the moon that, well, it's, it's the moon, but it's not like, I think people like really confuse it and they don't really understand it. Like they think like the moon is causing the activity, like the act of whatever the moon is, but it's the brightness of the moon. If you think about like elk and animals, right? Like you're an animal that's running and, and it is a temp. It's like a factor of temperature as well. So if you're going to be a bull elk that's already hot and you've got to run around and chase other elk and it's hot out, it's going to be tough to do. Like it'll happen. It depends on where you're at. And like, you know, the, like they're more opt, like they're going to probably do that more in hot areas early because they're always hot. But then when you go to like areas that are normally cold and it's hot then they're going to want that, that weather, that cooler weather to run around. Well, it's always cooler at night. And if you have, during the time when the elk are cycling a moon out where those elk can see really well and they aren't as afraid like they can use their eyes a little bit they can spot other elk they can spot danger then they're going to be doing that at night and that's just how it that's just how it works but if it's a full moon and it's completely cloudy it's there it's not going to be the same effect so it's more a factor of the amount of light perceived at night and the ability for them to expend their energy during daylight hours or during nighttime hours. So if you have like this year, I think, uh, I think it's like a bat. I think I can't remember. I got to double check it, but sometimes like, I mean, I have to hunt every single week of the season, right? You know, you're a guide, you hunt every week of the season. And over the years, I found like our success is pretty much the same, no matter the moon phase, but the weeks where there's a full moon at night and it's clear, it's a way harder 
kilo. Now, if that full moon falls during the peak of the rut, it's going to kick off the cycle of the cows, but there's going to be a lot of activity at night. Uh, not saying you won't catch activity in the daytime, but it's just going to be a harder rut. So when people are like, oh, the rut was early, the rut was late, the rut was this, the rut was that. I think it's more a factor of temperature and then just kind of being unlucky and catching the moon at night. There's so many times when you'll be in a backcountry camp, right? You can't get, you couldn't buy a bugle during the daytime and you hear those things screaming around your tent all night long. You're like, the elk are here. Um, it's just they aren't active during the daytime. And that, and that definitely happens. So, but whether it's now, this is now my other thing. I might be going too in depth on this, but if you're like, well, it's a good moon early, right? So they're going to be running early or it's going to be a better week. Well, that's not the case either because they could, it could be too hot and they might just not be getting in cycle because it's like, look, it's hot out. They aren't being active at night, but they aren't going to be active during the day because it's just like, it's not peak rut. They're moving around a little bit, but it's going to be mornings and evenings. And they probably aren't going to be super active because they aren't in that rut behavior. You get a cold snap the first week of the season. Yeah, it's game on. No moon. They might be, you know, it might kick that rut off, might kick that activity up, and then you're going to find more elk during the day. So I think it's more a factor of like temperature, amount of light, and the time of the month. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I mean, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, there's so much, you know, just logic that plays into it as far as like, you know, these animals, they live tough lives and they're trying to be, you know, stay comfortable, not wear themselves out and be efficient with their energy and their calories. Yeah. That just, that just makes, makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if you like, so I say that to say, like, if you're planning your hunt based on the moon, it might not be the best thing. I'd plan it based on, you know, cause you could, like if you see that like, Hey, it's going to be a full moon, but it's also going to be cloudy, stormy weather, cold, go, go then. And, but if it, Hey, it's like, Hey, you're going to get that early season and it's going to be whatever, or you got to just change the type of tactics you're doing if they aren't being super vocal. Gotcha. I guess this, so we talked a lot about calling and, and this kind of goes back into calling, but when you're trying to set up, like what what types of things are you trying to be like really conscious of? Like, do you think uh, front cover is more important? Do you think back cover is more important? You know, for you to basically, to, if you get that opportunity to be in position to, to take that shot and get that shot. Oh yeah. You don't want to put something in front of you. That's for sure. You're going to, you're going to mess up your shot. So you want something behind you block up your outline. Bull elk is like T-Rex on Jurassic park. Like if you don't move, it doesn't see you. So just like kind of be cognizant of that. Uh, definitely like I, you know, there is some times where you, okay, you might be able to put yourself behind a tree, but you're expecting it to move one way or the other. But yeah, there's so many times where I've seen guys that just don't know how to set up and they set themselves in a position where when the elk comes in, they can't get a shot. And that will happen every time if you keep giving yourself those kind of options, you know? So I always try to, it's like, I position myself for a shot first and foremost. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like you said, man, their eyesight, man, I've just, I've gotten caught so many times. Like even when, even when you're trying, at least for me personally, like trying to do everything right, you're like, oh, uh, he's got his head behind this. And I know, you know, I mean, if they're, if you can't see their eyes, they can't see you. But like, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I've just gotten caught. I got caught two years ago. Actually, I think they, well, I know the bull heard me. I had a bull at like, I think it was like 19 yards, nice five point. And I was on the, sitting on the ground and he came by and I actually, I waited for his head to get behind this tree. And then I, I turned and my bottom cam 
hit just like the tiniest dry little twig sticking up and he yeah. just like absolutely locked up like with his vitals now behind the tree now his head is behind uh in front of the tree and then his vitals are behind the tree and so then you know i stayed still which probably would have been fine he may have relaxed and kept going eventually but then three other bulls came in behind him and then it just then it just everything yeah. came unglued but uh yeah i think uh i don't even that that story somewhat uh pertains to what we we're just talking about but um what about uh i'm gonna i'm gonna describe a scenario that i've been in before it's hot you haven't seen an elk in five days you've been grinding it out you've, you're tired you've covered a lot of ground you know you're like dude I don't even know if there's an elk within, at least it feels like there's not an elk within a hundred miles. Have you ever been in that scenario and then had it turn around? And I guess what, what types of things can you do, which I guess could be anything to have that turn around or even just stay mentally like in the game and then, you know, have it happen. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. Like if, if I know, like if you're like, okay, if you aren't seeing any evidence of elk, then I just move spots. Like, and because you're like, well, the elk are somewhere, like, I like to think of it like this, like, it depends, like, if if everything's, you know, it, okay, it's, it's a scenario where you probably aren't going to see very much, but you should see some, there's going to, somewhere, there is elk doing elk things, right? And that's all you're <laughs> looking for, elk doing elk. I like to say elk doing elk, shit. you know, they're just like, yeah. they're doing, they're doing stuff elk should do. So in the morning, even if, if it's the sliver of the morning, 20 minutes before like that half hour before the sun comes up, they're going to be eating somewhere. They're going to be doing something that elk do. If you aren't finding those elk, like you're looking for the elk that's doing something elk are doing. And I will just continually move. I won't burn my time in a place where elk aren't doing elk things. So it's like, Hey man, I just got to cover more country. I got to go. I might've had a plan, but I'm going to change that plan. It might be, Hey, maybe I got to get up higher. Maybe I got to go deeper. Maybe I got to go uh, three drainages over, but somewhere, somehow, there's elk doing elk things, and that's what I'm looking for. And then, you know, the mental aspect is just, you know, you, you kind of got to know, like, I mean, elk hunting can be tough, and you just, like, a lot of it might just be that where persistence kind of, you're just so persistent that you intersect luck, you know? It's like, a lot of people are like, man, might think, like, oh, you're you're successful a lot. You, uh, like, I'm not, I'm an extremely unlucky hunter. I hate to say it. But like, I'm just a very, very persistent hunter. Like I'm there so much that eventually, eventually your number comes up, you know, because you're, you're there, you're, you're in the right places and you're doing the right things long enough that you're going to find success. And, uh, and like I said, I just got off a 14 day, uh, backpack hunt where I didn't see anything that I could legally take. And I think that's probably the first trip I've ever, that's ever happened to me on, um, the mental aspect was probably the hardest aspect of it. You know, I, I, I mean, you're, you're still carrying a lot of weight and backpacking and doing all the things, but like that thought of, we aren't going to see anything probably like, why are things all of a sudden going to change, you know, but you also have to be like, Hey, at least I'm out here. At least I'm doing it. And then maybe learn from the uh, things that you've, you've, you've figured out or things that you didn't see. You know, it's hard. It's hard to learn from no experiences. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you don't have any encounters, it's hard to learn anything, but maybe it's just learning. I'm not coming back to this spot when it's hot. <laughs> man i think that was like i mean it's really is such a huge thing though it's like just keeping what you said in mind like somewhere 
somewhere there are elk doing elk things. They they do exist. They are out there. They're doing elk things. I just need to find the elk that are doing elk things. And and like I said, if they're not where you're at, you know, make a change. And it could be could be a big change. You know, it could be an area that you've yeah. you never even been in before. And I agree also, like with that time thing, you know, I talk, you know, we're kind of joking a little bit about taking a nap in the woods before, but I know a lot of folks that they'll go back to camp and take a nap. And I'm, at least when I'm napping in the woods, I feel like I'm still in the game and I'm still hunting and something can happen. Uh, so, I mean, it kind of goes back to, you can't kill them from the couch. Like I'm sure somebody has actually killed things from camp before. Like, oh, we're in camp and we're having, you know, a lunch break and oh, you know, there's an elk, you know, shoot it. But, um, like you said, if it's, if it could happen, it probably has happened. But I, I do think like you were saying, just, just time and being out there and being persistent is, is such a big deal. So what about this? Almost conversely, like you've done it, like you, you, you've hunted hard you've created this calling scenario you've stuck with it you've got a bull coming and i mean he's there i mean this is like the situation that you've seen unfold on tv uh to a t uh the bull it's like it's almost like you're watching a a a private ranch at at the peak of the elk rut and a premier unit like you are there It's, it's happening the only difference is like you're the one behind the bow do you have any tips of how to keep it together in that moment and, and close and close on that. Because that's a, again, that's another scenario that I've been in where it's almost surreal. You're like, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the, the, the first couple things is don't take the field photos in your mind or text your buddies in your mind before you've actually sunk the arrow and walked up to it. Nothing's guaranteed. Second one, don't be thinking about the back straps and the whatever you just really have to be present. Think about the shot. I kind of just think like, okay, I just like, I always just think like, tell myself, just pick a spot, pick a spot. And then when the scenario is right, make it happen. And I don't, and then at that point I just go autopilot, but you know, just kind of like focusing on each task at hand, like it's not done until it's done. And I think that once you start uh, you know, you just kind of got to like one step at a time sort of thing. So once that bull presents a shot, make your shot. And then after the shot, you know, wait and then trail it and nothing's guaranteed until you like walk up to it and punch your tag. So, um, I don't, I try not to get too far ahead in my mind because when you, as soon as you do that, it's over, you know, it's like in a bad way. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. I think that's, yeah. Don't, uh, don't count your chickens or, uh, or your elk, right? Yeah, exactly. Speaking of chickens, kind of. Uh, final question. Final question, Remy, before we let you get yeah. out of here. Is elk hunting like turkey hunting? Uh, it's absolutely nothing like turkey hunting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't I don't. By the I way, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was baiting you into that, by the way. I know. So. That. I know. I know. I know. I, it was just like. One thing that I, well, I mean, when I was growing up, like those were the only kind of articles that you ever saw, like elk hunting's like turkey hunting. And it's absolutely not. I mean, if you're like, well, they call. Yeah. I mean, but I feel like turkey hunting is more like duck hunting because it's like <laughs> a bird that calls and you can use decoys, right? Like, or maybe like doll sheep hunting is like turkey hunting because like they like places that are really high, like turkeys roost and and sheep go up into the cliffs, you know? So it's like, you can draw comparisons on anything, but you're going to, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you're expecting it to be like turkey hunting, because it's not turkey hunting is a great thing. It's fun. And it is, 
I mean, I could see how you'd be like, okay, you know, calling and interacting is similar, but it's completely different. And if you've got the turkey hunting mindset, you probably aren't going to kill very many elk. And if you've got the elk hunting mindset when you're turkey hunting, you probably won't kill as many turkeys. So you should just hunt each species for what they are. Be gotcha. happy about it. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so there you have it. Uh, turkey hunting is actually like doll sheep hunting. It's exactly like it, really. I mean, they, um, or it's like bear hunting, really, because you hunt them both in the spring. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if if you take anything away from this podcast, it's going to be the last thirty seconds. But uh, yeah, well, Remy, did did we miss anything? I mean, any final words of wisdom? I mean, for a lot of folks, if they listen to this podcast in time, they are either in their car on their way to go on their archery elk hunt or or they are leaving next week i mean any any last minute words of advice that we didn't cover that's going to help them punch that tag i mean i think you just got to remember the three steps find the elk kill the elk pack the elk back to the truck and sometimes you know the the gap between zero and one can be hard and then the gap between one and step two can be difficult you know and then sometimes you got to also remember there's also step three. So pack the elk back to the truck. We didn't really talk about step three, but it's something that you got to keep in the back of your mind. You want to be ready for it. And you got to kind of think about elk hunting like this, especially if it's your first elk hunt. When you shoot the animal, your hunt is not over. You know, it's like sometimes that's half the hunt, getting the elk back to the truck. So, you know, step three can be a long process. But it's probably the most enjoyable process because one thing that I've always said, people are like, oh, well, I've, I've met new elk hunters like, oh, that's too far or, or whatever. I never think of it as too far because you kind of, I like this mindset of, well, I'm going to be out here chasing elk anyways, right? What did you come to do? You came to shoot an elk? What do you want to do? You want to spend the rest of your three days uh, looking for one that happens to be closer or you want to just spend the rest of your three days packing one out? You're Either way, you're walking around, you're doing the thing. So might as well be packing out. So that's my three-step process. You get those three steps down, you'll be successful every time. I like it. 99% of the time, hundred percent of the time you'll be successful. 50% of the time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is awesome. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Remy Warren's three-step oftentimes super hard process to kill yourself and elk this fall. Uh, Remy, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for joining us. We always appreciate your, uh, your words of wisdom and, uh, good luck hunting to you this fall. It is Thanks. here. It is. I'm excited. Awesome. Keep you guys posted. Uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, if you got any other questions, give us a shout or uh, comment below. We'll try to address those, and good luck to you as well. Uh, September is here, like we said before. Uh, good luck. Shoot straight. Find some milk. Have fun. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button, give us a review, or leave a comment. We want to hear what you have to say. If you have a question or topic suggestion, let us know that as well via the Vortex Nation podcast YouTube page or any of Vortex's social platforms. That helps us cover exactly what you want to hear so we can provide the best information to help you with your hunting, shooting, and related activities, and ultimately enjoy them to their fullest potential. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.